Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Pulp Movie Podcast. Today, we're talking about the 2018 sci-fi crime action film Hotel Artemis. It's written and directed by Drew Pierce, who was the writer for Iron Man 3 and Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, as well as Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw. He's also uh, writing and directing the upcoming Fall Guy remake. It stars Jodie Foster. And I'm just going to mention the things that she's been Academy Award nominated for. Taxi Driver, Nell, Niad, which is something that came out last year I haven't even seen yet. Uh, and then she won Oscars for The Accused in Silence of the Lands. She's also in this season of uh, True Detective. Very timely. Uh, Sterling K. Brown. Uh, he was in the People vs. O.J. Simpson, This Is Us, as well as Black Panther. Sophia Butella, she was the mummy. She was in The Atomic Blonde. And she's also in Rebel Moon that's on Netflix right now. The man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Goldblum. He's the fly, Jurassic Park, Independence Day, Thor Ragnarok for the kids. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry's Paperboy, 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 getting that Paperboy in Atlanta. It's also in the recent Bullet Train and the kind of stinky Eternals. Unfortunate about that. Jenny Slate. She's the annoying sister on Parks and Rec. Uh, she's also been in House and Lies, and she's a long-term voice on Bob's Burgers. Zachary Quinto. Got to start in Heroes. He's also Spock in the Star Trek reboot. Uh, got an Emmy for his work on the American Horror Story. Uh, Charlie Day. You know, he's Charlie Day. Uh, you'll know him from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's also written the stage play The Nightman Cometh. He's also in Pacific Rim. Finally, Dave Bautista, uh, professional man mountain. He's in Guardians of the Galaxy, Blade Runner, Glass Onion. He's in Dune Part One and Two. Uh, this is in, this is kind of like um, a, a, a type of commission podcast in that uh, uh, we're talking about getting our producer Talitha in the front of the house, you know. Uh, in front of the in front of the mic in front of the cameras, and she suggested this as a movie that she wanted to talk about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the tables over here to Talitha and say, Talitha, tell us about this movie, and uh, wh why'd you want to talk about it? Sure. Well, I try to get everybody to watch this movie. I think it's underrated and a little bit unfairly criticized. It's not a perfect movie, but the criticisms I read of it, I don't necessarily agree with. It also got buried beneath the releases of Hereditary and Ocean's 8. So when it was coming out, there's a lot of focus on other big movies. And this one sort of just slipped by without a lot of people noticing. I think people who like action, who like sci-fi or a blend of those two, especially fans of John Wick, could really find things they like about this movie, just like I did. And I just want more people to see it. So that's why we're talking about it today. Yeah, I remembered this movie coming out and being kind of interested in it and seeing like, oh my God, look at this cast. Um, it uh, looks really slick. And then when the early reviews came out and it was kind of dismissed as like a John Wick clone cash-in type of deal, uh, my interest in seeing it kind of kind of waned. Uh, Jim, what's your kind of relationship with this movie? And uh, then I guess we'll get into what we think about it. Uh, I mean, this is where... This whole relationship is new. Uh, it's the first time I've seen it. I didn't know anything about it really going in, except Talitha had described it, uh, the cast to us. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Um, 
I like all those people, but I didn't really know anything about the premise. And I found that to be uh, positive going in because I was constantly surprised by the things they, they were doing. And I was really impressed by the world building, uh, by the acting in a lot of places, especially Jodie Foster. Um, yeah, I, I just found I found the movie a really easy watch in in that way that like John Wick can be where you just kind of get caught up in it. Don't think too much about it. Just have fun. And yeah, it it was really good. Yeah, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's like yeah, maybe a hundred minutes long. Uh, just like just a kind of breezy hour and a half. Um, and I I will compare it to movies like Dread. I don't think it's quite as good as Dread, okay. but in like, uh, it almost feels like a bottle movie, and that you've got this single location that's very much a character unto itself, and these characters kind of traversing up and down. Um, the act like i i was super impressed with the acting it's you know there's a there's a lot of talent here on screen uh it's interesting how much of the dna of this version of jodie foster's character wound its way into true detective night country yeah like it's very much she's just kind of like swaggering blue collar uh tough old granny in uh, both of those roles um i think the reason it keeps it from getting to the highs of like a dread or a john wick is that um some of the internal connections don't quite pay off as much as I was kind of hoping they would. Um, or there's like some of the set pieces don't quite connect as well, but like, you know, this guy is pretty, pretty raw in terms of like, you know, his, his movie making career. And this is also like a shoe, like what I consider a shoestring budget. I was shocked to see this movie only cost like $15 million to make. And With like the people who were in it, I was yeah. going to say like the people had to be, uh, soaking up a lot of that uh, that 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 price tag too so like the movie has no right to look as good as it does um and yeah and it shooting gets, was like, only 33 days right i noticed it was yeah. a very compressed production schedule too maybe that's how they got all those big names into that you know they didn't need them for a six-month shoot but yeah i think for what he's able to pull off it was pretty pretty uh uh, pretty pretty big bang for your buck and i do think this movie like i said it is underrated when you go and you read anyone talking about this f- film uh either contemporaneously or, or or now it's always like oh yeah wasn't it that kind of like john wick knockoff wasn't that kind of like the store brand john wick I-, I wonder if this movie wouldn't work better in like the john wick universe so like they wouldn't have to do so much independent world building they could just get on with the the characters within the universe but like honestly that felt like this movie builds a lot off john wick so like they don't have to explain oh oh there's a secret hospital that only serves powerful criminal warlords yeah sure okay why not like that's that's something in the cinematic lexicon now um yeah it, it has a lot of a lot of connections to john wick as far as uh structure i guess um too where you've got this backdrop of the riots that are happening in this movie mm-hmm. uh the water wars i'm calling them um J- john wick tends to have that with assassins right you've just got a shitload of assassins coming after john wick yeah uh this felt like it was kind of mirroring that the riots yeah i think that that structure also is where this world differs because John Wick is dealing with people who are really slick and really powerful. And I felt like not everybody here was. Mm-hmm. John Wick is very much indestructible. So even even though we have the, the hotel, we've got the background of unrest, 
once we get to the characters, I think that's where those two movies split. So everything else looks very similar until you start getting to know people and people start getting hurt and they actually start racking up a body count, which you don't... John Wick, he he takes a beating, but is he, like, really getting hurt? Is he indestructible? Like, especially (laughs) talking about, like, just the first movie. Um, Mm -hmm. He seems... He seems immortal, and these people seem very uh, not. They're very human. He's getting more immortal as he goes, I feel. Well, I mean, yeah, that's uh, no spoilers for the last movie, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's power uh, creep I, happening. I, I think that like it's it's a good, uh, a good way to think about this is if what if John Wick was actually about John Leguizamo, where it's like John <laughs> okay. Wick... Wow. It is about his body shop, right? Like John Leguizamo is mobbed up okay. and connected and okay. you know, obviously the underworld season has an important resource. Mm-hmm. But he's just a guy. You know? Yeah. Like he's not John Wick and he's not a criminal boss. He's just kind of like a middleman. He got he owns a he he provides a, a valuable service and people respect him up to a point. This like Jodie Foster is like that John Leguizamo where she's running this uh, shady, you know, uh, well, not even shady. It's just like sophisticated uh, underground hospital. But she's just a she's just a, a gal, you know, uh, mm-hmm. she, she's not she she can't like crack three, three necks in two seconds. She can't kill an armful a, a room full of assassins with a pencil. Um, but she has some tech backing her up that, and she's got an orderly makes her almost superhero like name but, is yeah. Everest. That helps too. Mm-hmm. He's played by Dave. So it's like, yeah, having having five hundred pounds of muscle standing in your corner never helps or never hurts. But like, I think it's interesting that like the central focus of the character is on a person who is just a person in this universe, and they have all these big powerful people swirling around them. Um, I think yeah, that I, goes I, into one of the themes uh, where people. Like Sophia Butella's character says, you can't pick what you're good at. And life has driven all of these people together. So, yeah, just like Jodie Foster's character, she's caught up in this whirlpool of of insanity, like you pointed out. Yeah, I did. There was a lot of, like, really interesting, like, darkly philosophical one-liners that I felt like this uh, Drew guy just kind of, like, keeps a... Uh you know, keeps the notepad. And anytime he has like something that seems like it should be, he heard it off a fight club or something like that as he jots it down. But there's, there's a lot of like just one badass one liners. And also the whole, like, you got to work with what you got, not what you hope for. You know, they bought your death. Don't give them your dignity for free. There's like all this like sick shit that people are saying to each other, uh, that I'll hunt uh, you down and unheal the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. Unheal the shit out of you. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, one of yeah. my favorite Just, parts yeah there's a lot of those i've, I've probably got like a, as many more to, to to flash out but uh it is a, it's a good time it's uh this movie's a good time um and i'm kind of like i was somewhat curious uh to see what the fall guys remake was going to be about because i that was one of my dad's favorite shows growing up and i watched it a lot with him lee majors as a stuntman in california solving crimes you know uh I think that uh, I, and now it's like now this guy, this guy's written and directed. It's kind of like toward the top of my list of like, yeah, I want to see what he does with the Fall Guy remake. Although he did write the worst Iron Man of all time, I will hold that against him. <laughs> what the what the hell, Iron Man three? What the hell? Uh, okay, shall I kind of describe the setup of this movie, and we can talk, talk uh, in depth spoilers? Yeah, let's yeah. get into it. We'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause.
Here's what's new in premium content for our club members. On the latest episode of Off the Clock, we're catching up on Constellation. Aaron has some Avatar The Last Airbender to talk about, and perhaps I'll give a belated review of Monarch Legacy of Monsters. You can find that in your premium feeds this Wednesday. And don't you forget about lunch, because our weekly Q&A session starts at 1 p.m. this Friday on Patreon. But if you can't catch the show live, you can listen to the podcast later that evening. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content, plus ad-free feeds. And now, back with more Bald Move. Hotel Artemis is set uh, essentially ten years from 2018, but I think it's like it, it'll it'll work for the foreseeable future. Uh, you can just say it's ten years in the future. Uh, America has been further taken over by corporations. America has been further privatized. Uh, the the water system has been privatized, leading to wide scale water riots in some of the drier areas of the United States, including L.A. Uh, L.A. is gripped in the middle of a water riot. Um, it's this wide scale unrest or shit exploding. Uh, and they are having a bad night, bad Wednesday night at the Hotel Artemis as a result. Um, opportunistic criminals are trying to pull heists in the middle of it. They're getting shot up. They're going to Jodie Foster's front door and saying, patch us up. Um, and there's like a, a nexus of assassins and uh, criminals seeking refuge. And the uh, kingpin of L.A. ends up checking in. Uh what what's what's uh, there's a powder keg how's jodie foster going to navigate it with and keep her her health and sanity in check because also against this backdrop is the tragic figure jodie foster herself who lost her son to an apparent drug overdose and has this haunted quality that she's just trying to like make up for uh you know the inability to save her son so that's kind of like the premise of the movie um, yeah, the title of this movie is a bit of a misnomer. Um, I was expecting this to be a sort of refuge, but I was not expecting it to be a hospital because this is primarily a hospital and it has a limited number of rooms. Uh, the Hotel Artemis has a limited number of rooms that clients can come to and the clients have a membership that they maintain. Uh, and if you don't maintain the membership, you're not allowed in. Um, and, and so that was a little surprising to me that this was a hospital. Yeah, I was expecting it to be like when I heard it's a kind of a John Wick knockoff, I was expecting it to be literally like uh, an unbranded yeah. The Continental, you know, uh-huh. it's going to be a hotel. Where there's And it is like it really is. Uh-huh. It has like it is The Continental because it's got the same rules. You know, you got to pay the fee, got to be a member. You can't hurt anybody there. You can't take the business off the streets. There's like all these. It's essentially that, except for they also have, uh, you know, uh, 3D liver printers and robo surgeons mm-hmm. and all this like near future tech that I thought was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the timeline and I'm saying, are we going to be there in 10 years? Some of the stuff. Yeah, maybe. The it, it also scalpel. made me sure. Yeah. Really microwave scalpel. That was 3d printed organs. That's something that like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. If someone said you could print yeah. a liver, especially a liver. Like I feel like a liver is like, that's, if you get like a golf ball size of liver out of somebody, you can almost grow a whole new liver just from that. So it's like I feel like the liver is almost oh, yeah. 3D printing itself. So <laughs> it just needs just needs a little help. Uh, sure. 
I thought it was interesting that you could 3D print a gun out of a machine that has materials labeled as bone, tissue, and organ. That is mm-hmm. like some David Cronenberg type yeah. gun shit. Uh, Existence kind of stuff. Do you want to maybe start our discussion with Jodie Foster and her character, the nurse? Sure. Sure. What do we think of Jodie Foster? I, I mentioned that uh, I, I got so much of... Because I, I haven't seen a lot of Jodie Foster. I mentioned offhand, like, at the beginning of the True Detective season, that she hasn't really been in much, except for, like, this other movie I can't even remember. She's in this nyad uh, that's about, I think, training, helping training a, a, a retirement-age late gal to swim the Florida barrier islands or the the, key, the keys of Florida. Um, and she's been in this and now we're talking about this and now that we are it's like there's a lot of control C control V from the nurse character to Liz Danvers in True Detective season 4 are you guys getting that or is it just me oh yeah especially with the picture of the sun on the nightstand yeah oh right the the general sense of of grief that she she carries it's it's grief and it's urgency are, are the two things that I feel like she's wearing um, on her sleeve when when she's operating and she she's working with a vengeance as if she could save everyone and you get the idea that there was someone she couldn't save and then mm-hmm. the urgency I think my favorite part of her performance is the walk she created yeah for, that's for really the good nurse. that like very fast shuffle where it, it's somebody who it's somebody who's used to a different body than the what they have now is is the hmm. idea that i was are you getting. saying she has 3d printed legs probably <laughs> pull okay. up the pant legs and it's bone tissue and guns all the way up and down uh-huh. <laughs> it's interesting i um i saw ferrari over to christmas break and penelope cruz is playing ferrari's wife and she plays it with a very head down, stumpy, shuffling bulldog kind of gait too, which reminded me a lot of Jodie Foster in this. I thought it's interesting that Jodie Foster um, has a lot of Debbie Downer energy, you know, like the SNL Rachel Drack uh, character, uh, just her haircut, the kind of shade of like brownish gray it is, just her general frumpiness and dour demeanor. Like she is a bit of a downer uh, th- throughout this movie because she is so. Uh, grief-stricken over her son yeah Yeah. clearly traumatized she can't go outside she hasn't been outside the hotel in several years um i get the impression that even then it was a rarity uh the last time she went out uh yeah i i think she's great i so you compare her to the true detective stuff i don't think the personality is the same I, I think they're very different like yeah they carry they both carry baggage um and it's related to trauma of lost lost child uh but the way it manifests is totally different the performance here is really quirky along the lines of like a tilda swinton kind of character i could see her doing that role um mm-hmm. and i i found it really just really interesting you know the way like her trauma was manifesting it's she's she's still very good at what she does but you feel like there's some kind of weight there that is affecting even her movement i i, I don't know the walk does so much the walk is really good and and the way she speaks too um every once in a while you can hear her break into like what i think of as jodie foster just kind of her normal voice but she's putting on some kind of it's not an accent so much as it is just like a 
a cadence to her voice. Yeah, it's very like working class. You could see her as like working a uh, surgical floor mm-hmm. of a hospital or something, you know. The other thing is like I think this role requires her to be kind of vulnerable and frail, but also kind of like with the underlying toughness and steel because she has to like back down these big tough dudes that want to disrespect her, disrespect her facility, disrespect her rules. Again, helps that she's got Dave Batista standing right beside her, but like if she was a pushover, um, this it's like you you get the feeling that like her rules are the only thing to kind of keep her safe and keep her like if yeah. she wasn't the person that would be like i will shove you out this facility and let you die on the street if you're not following the rules then you know no matter how bad the situation you're gonna have to go through the gun scanner you're gonna put your guns away you're gonna have to make sure you're paid you got to come through the door one at a time and if any of that stuff doesn't happen door slam shut you're out the street and you're dying I thought that was a cool facet How? that she has that steel that Jodie Foster sometimes brings to the rule to the role. How spoilery do we want to get right now? Because we're spoiler free, baby. We're out. We're done with the recap. Oh. If you haven't, if you if you wanna if you wanna watch this, uh, then then turn off now and come back to it. We're just, wait, spoiler free as in like guns free? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Like weapons well, free fire doesn't mean put your weapons away. I mean. Start spraying okay. lead. Start spraying spoilers. Yeah, yeah spoiler-free usually means no spoilers, but okay. Ah, I see. Uh, so the other thing that she has backing her up here that really gives her a lot of uh, authority is the blessing. I mean, the implicit blessing of the Wolf King, which, I mean, that's got to go a long way with people who know who the Wolf King is, and it seems like everybody does. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that, like, um, they didn't fully flesh that backstory out. So you don't exactly yeah. know how all of those things connect. But you do know they connect enough that the, like, kind of the revelations that they want you to go on towards the end. And I almost wonder if, like, in the back of his mind, he kind of wanted to have a trilogy of stories or, or or more stories where it's kind of like you know you want Jodie Foster's character to be a little bit mysterious or maybe it's designed to be an anthology or maybe he just had the one and done but um yeah that she you don't really know what her background was before but her son you know she had a son who became a police officer or no. he wasn't so, he was just real he just best friends with the police officer he stole the guy's car yes mm-hmm. which why the I think fuck he, he was an the addict wolf- I thought he was something. It's like, why would he steal the? Yeah, so he steals the Wolf King's card. Wolf King kills him, and the cops say that he overdosed. Yeah. And then the Wolf King comes in, knowingly taking advantage of. Because, like, I guess after that, she uh, became like uh, a street nurse, where she had like a, a, a poor outreach clinic. People come in, but she also started drinking and maybe got in a little trouble. Was some malpractice. I, that's what I'm saying. I don't know exactly how, mm. but the Wolf King says he saw this person that could be so useful. So he sw- swept in there, you know. And maybe the implication is did he kill her child because he wanted this outcome or? So I'm glad you brought that up because that's Cause one you've of seen the this things... more times than us. So yeah, yeah, probably like five times by now. That's part of the movie that doesn't make sense. And I don't know if that's intentional or not. I think. I think what the writer's trying to tell us is that Jeff Goldblum, who's playing the Wolf King, odd choice for a gangster, but 
I ended up no, really perfect also choice. incredible restraint perfect. for him not to howl once in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I really I really thought we might get like a sexy awu and when he was kind of sort of hitting on Jody Fisher Foster, but no, no, didn't. So when he's being sedated and she's asking him questions, the story that comes out of his mouth doesn't really make sense chronologically if you're thinking he killed the son to get Jodie Foster because I think it I think it just happened and he saw an opportunity but the like, way like fate. he was telling it yeah I think it was more fate but the character being a narcissist uh-huh. and vain like he admits I think he likes to tell himself that oh yeah I orchestrated this I killed mm. your son before I even knew you so that way you could run yeah, my like butterfly penthouse flaps. yeah, yeah. I, I can see that and That's plus he's also high as fuck so he also might be embellishing things or making these connections but that, that it wasn't yeah. confusing because I thought there were, were telling Loki the story of him doing like this cosmic billiards thing where it's like I'm gonna kill the son to get the nurse to be in the hospital to. but like yeah I think it also could just easily be interpreted as his grandiosity thinking yeah. that he's just pl- plucking the threads of fl- fate expertly for maximum. I'm going to miss something, but I interpreted that differently. I, and maybe it's just because I like Jeff Goldblum and I want him inherently to have some redeeming quality, but I was under the impression that he felt guilty about killing the kid. And so he gave her this hotel. To uh, run. Mm. Like guilty I... about killing the kid and driving her to, you know, the depths that she was at. I'm not, I see where you're getting that, but I don't, I don't think so. Cause he also says he never regrets the killing, only the lies. And uh-huh. so yeah. he was following his own rules mm-hmm. there. Steal from him. He drowns you in the ocean or according mm-hmm. to him, gives you back to the ocean. But I see, I see where you got it. Okay. <laughs> I have another question around that. Um, the visions that Jodie Foster is seeing throughout the movie of her child there are two characters in those scenes both of which are her child yes one of which is her young child leading her to the body of her older child who's dead yeah at the hands of jeff goldblum okay it's a little confusing i'm not used to seeing a character lead you to themselves but i think i got the point i think this was the benefit of me watching this like five or six times over five years is one of the things jodie foster says is when she's talking to Mo, the police officer, they're talking about Bo, the son, is mm-hmm. they remember him as a happy kid jumping on a trampoline. And that's the way she wants to remember him as a, as a kid. And I think that's why we're seeing mm. the kid and the guy who looks late teens, maybe early 20s at the same time. I interpreted it as like says Jody not Foster. how I remember him. Yeah, I, I interpreted it as her as like having a lot of fond memories as of a mom walking to boardwalk, walking to beach, and then also juxtaposed with seeing her son's corpse at the same place that they used to yeah. play as children. I'd be like, mm-hmm. it's like you know, I got a got a, a playground that was like a half mile from my old house, or you know, I took Jack from three to eight. It would be like really fucked up to you know go to a crime scene and see him lying dead on that playground, like ten. 15 years later uh that's, so that's how i it's like he was she was seeing both things like the happy child and then the tragic yeah result of I, it i thought it was something where she had an idea in her head that something that there might have been a lie here um that he didn't od and die that something else happened and that the child version of him 
was leading her to that conclusion, kind mm. of trying to free her from whatever guilt she felt about him him ODing. But well, I'm maybe I'm big, reading too much into I'm it. I'm a big Death the Arthur know. guy, so fuck Drew Pierce and what he intended. Yeah. Like, you got it. So like, I think that's uh, <laughs> as valid as anything else. But no, I I understand why I might be going too far with that, and I think your guys' explanation works probably better. Um, I really like the fact that like you kind of assume Sterling K. Brown, uh, Waikiki is going to be the protagonist because you kind of like start the movie with him. But by the time you get to the mo- the the hotel, like there's the you know almost right away you know the Wolf King's coming and Zachary Quinto is making all these crazy demands, so you know it's kind of like Marcellus Wallace and and Pulp Fiction, like he's a big deal. Just got Charlie Day, and he's kind of a crazy guy, but you don't know if he's like bad or evil. You've got this like super hot assassin lady, um, uh, played by Sophia Butella, and you know you know she knows Sterling K. Brown. They might have had a previous relationship. Uh, Sterling K. Brown's got his brother, who's like you know uh, uh, Brian Tyree uh, Henry, so he's really likable, but he also seems like he's a fuck up. There's like you don't have really any. And there's De Patista, who's kind of like a blank slate throughout the whole movie about like you know what is his motivations, why you get more little breadcrumbs later on. I really like mm-hmm. how it's like everything's kind of a blank slate, and it's um, it kind of works a little bit like the movie Clue, and that you know you know someone's going to break bad, someone's going to have some kind of betrayal, so but you don't really know who or where it's going to come from. Yeah, I found myself really enjoying all of the little connections that were being made between characters and and just the construction of this movie. I mean, from the world building stuff where it drops little hints about, you know, the water wars in the background and how I think like halfway through the movie or something, you get the idea that it's been privatized um, Mm -hmm. and that the prices are super high. People can't afford it. So that's why the riots are happening. Uh, But between the characters, yeah, I think one of the most interesting or I guess like engaging parts of the movie for me was the relationship that obviously existed at some point between Sterling K. Brown and Butella. Um, the the way they kind of drip feed that, I think is super interesting. And then when it comes to a head at the end of the movie um, where she makes a decision, she's on a job that causes him say some pain uh, from losing his brother. It, And then the way that that turns around by the end, I, I think it's all, really well constructed yeah i think it's a really tight script for the most part this Mm -hmm. is one of those movies where you also want to keep an eye on the props because like you said with the characters (laughs) you get you get ideas like these two know each other from something these two hate each other from something and but then you also want to see the handoff of like the playing card acapulco charlie day's characters playing with um the the bottle of alcohol that nurse leaves in the hallway to go pick up the cop niece mm-hmm. Sophia Butella goes and grabs that and then she and Sterling K Brown have a drink and mm-hmm. like the pen the pen is also something I'd like to talk about if I could lead us in a slightly different direction this is one of my criticisms of the film okay is I so the first couple times I watched this I didn't question the the pen is the reason that the wolf king's coming here but it's not the pen ends up being yeah. more or less pointless this is my big criticism of the film as well yeah so the pen is a portable vault that uh brian tyree henry picks up at the very opening of the movie 
from a guy at a bank they're trying to rob. And they can't open the safe, so they just start robbing the people that are there. And this pen is a portable safe, and it's got a bunch of really valuable diamonds in it. And it belongs to the Wolf King. It's got his little insignia on it. And you get the idea that, well, at least I did. I, foolishly, where was my film analysis, that the Wolf King was coming because he knew his pen was there. Like, you wouldn't not put a tracker in that sort of thing, but that's not it. So the Wolf King has already been targeted and attacked by Nice, who then shot herself to get into the Artemis, who then is going to take him out while he's in the Artemis because that's the only way she could get him alone. Except why... How did she get him in the first place? Were they not alone then? Like that's, that's, yeah, that's so the, I wasn't putting that together. Okay. That the, the niece had given him the wound that he has that's taking him to the Artemis. I had barely hmm. put that together. The thing that I thought was, it's because, the, so I put in my notes, like, it felt weird. It's like in Pulp Fiction. I keep kept going back to that. Imagine a Marcus, you know, you got this Marcellus Wallace, and he's got this briefcase, and it's loaded with this gold shit that everybody, every time, and everybody's like, oh my God, you got this briefcase, it's your ass. You better, you better not let Marcus Wallace come. And then you find out that Marcus Wallace is coming to his private hospital that these people are all staying. And you're like, and everyone's like, oh my God, we better get the fuck out of here before Marcellus Wallace gets here. He's so powerful. He's the king of LA and he's going to fuck us all up. And he gets there and he's just there to get this thing on the back of his neck treated. Like, hey man, is this, is this, I cut myself shit and I need to get stitched up. And he never interacts with anybody. And he never, and then like his son that is kind of like portrayed as a dumbass gets into like a minor low stakes deal for the briefcase but then not really so it's like everything that's like everything kept on felt like it's escalating and building towards something and they, it just was missing that last that last level um yeah kind of like the random feel of that that you know you've got one thing one reason why the wolf king should be coming here but he's not he's coming here for a different reason i kind of like that but i agree with you also it feels rather inconsequential. Um, it, it makes that pin feel like, well, what's the point? Just leave that out and we'd have the same problem, kind of. And it did feel yeah. like when they kept on saying, like, he's not even where anywhere near the hospital. There's so many other hospitals. And it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, why is he making a point to travel all this way? Why is the son being such an asshole? But it, it felt like, yeah, this is more of a reprisal for the diamonds than... But yeah, it turns out that was just uh, a, maybe that was a twist to cover the actual twist, which is niece, you know, luring him there to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's used as a bargaining chip at the very end of the movie with the Wolf King's son, Crosby, Zachary Quinto. But even that, so I'm saying, but it not didn't really feel like enough of a payoff. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, and it could have worked without that. Right. I mean, this was a violent guy who's probably pissed off that his dad's dead i mean he is obviously well, there's he a couple just other things to kill him that, for that reason there's a couple other things that made me feel like there might have been 10 or 15 more minutes of film that they could have filmed and they ran out of money because like dave bautista is like looks exactly yeah. quinto and essentially your ass is grass and i'm the lawnmower and that makes me want to see dave bautista fucking destroy yep. zachary quinto and i'm waiting the, for it i'm waiting the, for it all of a sudden Zachary Quinto squirts out into the parking garage like, ah, I'm going to kill you. Oh, diamonds? I have to... And then Dave Bautista is still alive because he turns on the power. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, did he, did, did he just get away from Dave Bautista? What the fuck? This I feel like is there's, the there's... biggest letdown of the entire movie. I, I was so excited to see yes. Dave Bautista whip some ass with that axe and then go after Zachary Quinto. And it just never happens. It's just... 
it's promised and it's never delivered and it was so disappointing i do wonder if they just got like that shoot got complicated and they're just like we we're out of days and we're out of money and out of stuntmen and we just have to like go with what we got because like i didn't feel that way about um i I was i got a sophia's fight scene like that felt Mm -hmm. like it was a proper fucking showpiece yes but i felt like i only got half the batista yeah Every, every hallway every fight should be a hallway fight hallway fights yeah. are so good they we learn anything so from daredevil and hotel artemis yeah uh especially when you got somebody who can really do the action i mean some of those uh kicks that she does you can tell she's been practicing i don't yeah. know if she's been practicing her entire life maybe maybe she's some kind of dancer, dancer. or is she that makes yeah. perfect that sense opening the john claude van damme formula like wall climbed and spin kick and put that line in the thing that was so fucking badass and that's why i'm saying like i was right? so hungry for the batista because he comes with the head of steam like all right you guys didn't read the rules visiting hours are never and then she's yeah. like don't cross my line and i'm like yeah fuck yeah, yeah i want to see and him. i was like, so excited for them to team up like the 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 tank and the scalpel right together right. i wanted to see that yeah and it yeah. just really let me down there at the end that doesn't diminish the movie that much for me. I yeah. still really enjoyed it. This is what I'm saying. It felt like a couple third act connections that they teased and promised never quite got there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, again, that's uh, this movie is made for under $15 million. It's just is, is insane. Yeah. Speaking of Dave Batista, uh, what'd you guys think of his performance in this? I liked it. Uh, I, I don't think it was anything. Best. Yeah. It wasn't. I wouldn't tell you to watch this movie for Dave Batista's. <laughs> I wouldn't tell you to watch any movie for Dave Batista. <laughs> He's good it's at honestly, what he does. Yeah, but it, it but feels this like is Drax. I, I'm getting like huge Drax energy here. Drax without the makeup. Yeah, like he is yeah. a little simple-minded. Um, capable of great violence, but he's also kind of like kept in check by having a larger moral figure, a lot like Amos from like The Expanse. Uh, mm-hmm. He's trying to say things in ways that he thinks makes him look smart. Like, I will unheal the shit out of you. I mean, it's a hilarious line, but it's very Drax. Yeah. There's one moment. So I'm wondering if this is the case with Dave Bautista where he could potentially really shine with less dialogue. I really like his delivery on Mm -hmm. a lot of things, but there's one moment in the movie where he and Jodie Foster are operating on Jenny Slate. And she's getting impatient. She's like, come on, come on, hurry up, hurry up. Hurry. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, and he gives her this just like this withering glare that I thought that's where the character of Everest lives. Like he's he's exhausted and stressed because he's an orderly in this penthouse hotel mm-hmm. hospital for criminals. Mm-hmm. But he'll do anything the nurse tells him to do. And then it's also like, why? And then you find out like she broke the rules to bring him in as a kid and she's raised him this entire time. And that's where he gets his devotion from yeah. for the place and for Jodie Foster. But I think one of the other actors who well, can I before we can move on from Dave Batista, because sure. I, 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 I think Dave Batista's best performance is in like Blade Runner 2049. Is it? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not even yeah. close. But the problem is, is like I think, and I don't know, I haven't seen the knock on the door of the cabin of the woods or whatever the hell he was in I, last year. So I really don't like anything about Army of the Dead, but I don't think Dave Batista is the problem there. I think he actually could pull off what they were asking him to do. It's just what they were asking him to do didn't work in any way. But it was more of a quiet, you know, 
kind of contemplative but, but, and, and yeah not but you know how role. like you always hear like oh jim carrey he did a serious film and it's like oh my god didn't mm-hmm. know he could do this stuff i feel like that he is capable of like a really fine i would love to see him get something like the wrestler uh that maybe too on yeah. the nose for him because i think he <laughs> could crush a really dramatic serious role and it's like you know this fascination of just like the the rubber face comic that can like deliver an oscar worthy dramatic performance like seeing this dude who is just a giant slab of meat a moat and like have like a complex emotional interior i think i would like to see that and i kind and the thing is is dave batista interviews talks like that's what he wants like hollywood won't yep. give it to him because He's he is this that way. why the fuck would you you know just like why would you give <laughs> jim carrey he uh he, he needs to do what stallone did right because stallone is that as yeah, well he's a cop stallone's a meathead looking dude who can actually pull off a really solid performance dramatically. The thing is, Stallone started as a, his like, own writing direct. Yeah, he was yep. he was he able to directs. cast himself into the movies that are perfect for him. And I just wish Dave would get that chance because uh, mm-hmm. it's not like his window's any close to closing. But like, I, I'd like to see him. Someone give him some 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 challenging material and, and see if he can knock it out of the park. Because I kind of think he would. Yeah. It'd be it'd be super cool to see. Sorry, I didn't mean to hijack that, Tyler. Where where were no, you steering in terms good. of other actors? Well, I was just going to give another example of what I'm talking about. Chevy Chase is not one of my favorite actors by oh, far, yeah. but I mm-hmm. can appreciate his physical comedy. I think that's where mm-hmm. he really excels. Yeah. And I, that's what I liked about Pierce in Community. And mm-hmm. I think I just wanted to say, as someone who loves movies, I think dialogue gets in the way of good storytelling sometimes. I think sometimes it's sometimes. too much talking and it's a movie. Just show me. Just show me something. Don't don't tell me everything. Mm-hmm. Just show it to me. So I think I agree with I think Dave Bautista could take on some pretty serious roles and really, really kill it. I hope, you know, like Everest does, just killing all over. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of the I think the revelations we've had in action films in the last decade. You look at John Wick, you look at Dread, you look at um, Fury Road. They are all minimalist pieces that don't let the dialogue get in the way of what they're trying to do in terms of the story, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Can we talk about the world building? It's something we all praise and it's something like, oh, yeah. you know, uh, there's, there's usually, um, I, I see movies like this. I, I think in terms of the matrix, right? The matrix was this futuristic technology as seen through the prism of like late eighties and early nineties telecommunication gear, you know, rotary phones mm-hmm. and, be- and and modems and stuff like that. I really appreciated that you had this super high tech 3d printed robot surgeon suites, but it's all kind of grimy and dingy. And the interface looks like it was written for an Apple II. That mm-hmm. is what like, like mm-hmm. 1985 elementary school computer interface is what this technology looked like. And again, it's, it, it's crushing because you've got the trappings, the peripherals of this super high tech future, but it's got this old archaic technology that kind of grounds it and gives it a timeless feel. I think Hotel Artemis will look just as sophisticated in like 2048 as it does in 2018 in the same way the Matrix does. Yeah, it's a near future sci-fi dystopia, I would say. Um but but maybe too near future. I like this is 4 years from now and I know they made this back in 2018, so it was 10 years from then, but I'm not sure if they really thought we'd be having water wars in 10 years or or what, but now that we're 4 years out, it seems far less likely. 
to have I wouldn't the privatization rule it out. of water on the West Coast. <laughs> the climate's doing I wouldn't rule wild, it out entirely, but far stuff, less likely. Um, how about nanites? How do you feel time. about uh, armbands and nanites? Just uh, we're not there. That's it. I there. thought that they I thought they would go harder in the action scenes because I kept like, oh, all the protagonists are wearing these like armbands of nanites would presumably like auto heal minor injuries. Uh-huh. But that never really that 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 never really got to be a thing either. And we've got camera eyes um, that have Sick. telecommunications built in as well that are almost indistinguishable from a real eye visually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's pretty far off, I would say. She's using to make snuff film pornography mm-hmm. for her clientele. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's also an edge to this movie that I really like uh, in that regard, but. I like yeah, Goldblum. The- I I I love his death sequence because he's you know he's trying to beg get his way out of it and she impresses he's like you know essentially yeah I don't they they bought your death don't give your dignity away for free and he's like oh is this how it's gonna be all right baby Ta- I forget exactly what he said but it's like take me send over me the down the river bridge. send me mm-hmm. down yeah and she just slices his throat looking right in his eyes and, uh, I would say she needed to linger on that moment a little longer if personally if I'm masturbating to the snuff film. I need a little more at the end. I need a little well, calm down. I, so I got the idea that this dude is a multi-fetish complex because he likes being fi- financially domed. Because every okay. single time she's calling, yeah. she's like, look, you you pay pig. I need twice as much money in my bank account or I'm hanging up right now. And it's like always like contract approved. <laughs> like She does like three different times. And then like, yeah, you can see the guy's yeah. probably like he's, he's like almost. But she's like got this kind of disdain, disgust. She's not indulged. Yeah. It's yeah. She did the job, I think, it's over. Yeah. I think she's dominant, man. Whoever this underworld <laughs> okay. dude is, she's she's edging him. Yeah. Milking him. I don't know. I'm trying to please the client if I'm her, and you only get one shot at making this movie, so I don't know. Maybe let the cameras roll a little longer. Just see what happens. I also, you mentioned about the props, like the Charlie Day card, because, you know, it's like this guy's known for his high-tech weapons and stuff, and I'm like, and he's like, oh, I guess he does have his toys when he peels the label off. I'm like, what the fuck? Yep. What the fuck is this? And then when he slams it into the 3D printer later and it makes a gun, I'm like, ah. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought, thought that, that was, was super nice cool. Cool connection. Is uh, Okay, speaking of 3D printing, I've never seen one. Maybe they exist. But is this the first 3D printer killing ever committed to film? Let's talk about that. Uh, please. Because <laughs> it's amazing. That was the peak of comedy for me. I thought that was hilarious and genius because yes. I was so tired of hearing about everybody's damn 3D printer in 2018. <laughs> like, okay, I get it. You can print yeah. out more plastic. Great. We've got more yeah. plastic. I I think this so far is the only one. And this movie the will forever be the first one to kill someone with a 3D printer. It's a gnarly 3D printer, too. It's got yeah. it, those those spouts for the bone, the tissue, and the plasma goes straight through his head and mm-hmm. and then he, he just keeps twitching i feel so sick like you're like oh he's twitching but it, it, i i hope you i hope dear listener i'm not insane but it's it it's great i think it, i think it was so creative and i think it was so perfect for the time too 
Rarely have I yeah. seen a plea to the audience that a person's not insane carry the day, but we'll we'll, we'll see how <laughs> yeah, it goes. Yeah, if you have to say you're not insane. Yeah, it's one of yeah. those Tywin Lannister things. I, I did yeah. think it's funny because that's when I when someone got killed by 3D printing, I'm like, damn, Jim's always talking about the dangers of the toxic this and time, but I mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I did that the armature would just smash your head flat. Oh, it does. Little known. You get see. I thought it was going to do. Remember in like the first X Men where like Wolverine was fighting Lady Deathstrike and they're fighting over the adamantium injection table and like he grabs the injector and like shoves it right into her skull and pulls the trigger and you see like liquid metal tears coming out. I actually thought that they would go full tilt with the bone, <laughs> the tissue, and the pla- and like those injectors would like you'd see shit sh- coming out of his ears and eye holes, but. They should have had him roll over. Roll over, fall out of the machine, and get a close-up of that. Yeah, that would have been cool. He's just got a liver on the side of his face now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, or like a gun be... half embedded in his skull or something. That would have been... Yeah. Is that going to be... Are we going to see that in the next 10 years? Someone strapped to a 3D tissue printing table, and they're going to do like Agent Smith in the Matrix to stitch over your mouth with flesh so you just suffocate yourself? Yeah, or thrown into like an industrial size one, and you come oh, out yeah. looking like the fly or something. Yeah, you've had some modifications yeah. made. <laughs> All right, I'll get on writing that script. Me and Talitha apparently need to write that script again. Yep, because <laughs> we're both yeah. broken in the same way. Yeah, I'll, I'll, the horror pussy will sit that one out. Um, that's, uh, <laughs> it's, sounds like the whole concept's going to hell in a handbasket full of blood and shit. Another one oh, of the, the great dialogue. lines in this movie. Yeah. yeah, I'm someone who likes to watch with captions on Same. because I love to pick up all the little things like Jodie Foster's too damn sweet. I didn't hear mm-hmm. that the first couple of times I watched the movie. Yeah. I, I just think the little the, the little things that her character has, she almost says it under her breath in a way that I just wasn't hearing without the captions. So I recommend captions on so you pick up all the little gems that are in this movie. Yeah, I did watch this with captions on. I usually don't. Um, but yeah, I don't know that I would have picked up the too damn sweet and all of her little uh, embellishments of language there. So funny what? because like too sweet is not something you hear every day. And last night I just happened to watch American in Paris again. And uh, motherfucking Gene Kelly lays, uh, hits us with a too damn sweet. And then I like had a stroke when... Jodie Foster said it like eight hours later. Like, wow, what a what a wild run of toot sweet. <laughs> One of my favorite lines, just because of how stupid it is, is uh, when Charlie Day is. I, I I don't know if he thinks he's hitting on Nice or if he's just an asshole to everybody, and this is the way he goes. But he calls her a street taco. He says, "You're a street taco. I'm a twenty ounce sirloin." I thought that was a hilarious. It's such yeah. a dumb line. And then he calls Which her I'm... street meat again later. <laughs> he does, yeah. Street meat? Uh-huh. It's like a stray cat? What? Like taco. What street... Like a street... What's the concept of street, street taco? Like a, like a street food. Right? Because you sit so. down yeah. to eat a sirloin. You don't, you don't have to to eat a taco. I thought it was fun to see. I mean, Charlie Day's doing his Charlie Day thing. Um, kind of? I. It, it's different. For sure. Yeah. It's definitely more of a, a psychopath mixed in there. Mm-hmm. Like, Charlie learned a lot from Dennis and then became an <laughs> arms dealer. <laughs> and then now here we are uh-huh. in 2028. And I was trying to figure out if this guy actually believes anything he's saying. 
Because, you know, he showboats a lot. At least to me, it's showboating. Mm-hmm. I don't think this guy has anything to back it up with. And he keeps... He's an arms yeah. dealer. He keeps talking about his toys. And then he finally gets the gun. And he's like, this can't aim for shit. I mean, granted, it was printed. Mm-hmm. Out of bone and tissue. Yeah. Never forget but that. I'm trying... Every, every watch... I'm looking for a clue as to whether this guy is as delusional as I think he is or if there's anything actually scary about him. He makes a, he has a lot of money to be yeah. to be to be subscribed mm-hmm. to the Artemis and the, like the anywhere helicopter uh, service and all that stuff. But it's also like arms dealer, you know, the merchant of deaths like that's you could definitely make a lot of money, but you probably don't get your hands dirty. Like arms yeah. dealers are not the are mm-hmm. not the John Wicks of the world. They're the people who supply the nations that John Wick goes in to kill. Uh, so it's like maybe They're it's salesmen? that. It's like he's, um, you know, he, it's not that he's all talk. It's just that he he doesn't really belong in this world. He's more of a, an executive that's gone bad than he is an assassin who's going professional. Which that's the other thing with you know the conversation they had with the uh, niece and. Waikiki, the idea of like professionalism, like you're a professional, I'm the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Day is like, yeah, he's like a Fortune 500 type deal. He he doesn't belong in the the rough and tumble world. But for the underworld, I mean, he's he's making deals with probably bad people all the time. He mm-hmm. he's an underworld salesman, is what I view him as. Yeah, um, which makes me wonder how he's still alive because his demeanor seems like it's just tailor made to piss people off. Oh and yeah. He's very punchable. Yeah, if he talks like this to somebody who he's selling guns to, they're probably just going to murder him. Yeah, thanks for so, the product, bang. Yeah, mm-hmm. or or <laughs> I just don't like you, bang, you're dead. Yeah, this guy's he, just so stupid and loud. How does he survive making the deals that he has to make? Yeah. To de- yeah. But I don't know, maybe he's just like this in this scenario, and when he's doing business, he's much cooler. He's, I don't know. But I, I like Charlie Day's performance here. I think it it's kind of underselling it to say that Charlie Day is doing his Charlie Day thing here because he's striking me as somebody who has reason to have swagger, not not physically. I mean, I don't think he could kick anybody's ass in here, but he probably knows a lot of really connected, really bad people. He probably feels like he's kind of the Wolf King in his own way, and... He's really pulling that off for somebody who most of the time is just a complete buffoon. I mean, Charlie Day plays idiots and just complete clowns. I didn't feel any of the clown coming through here. I felt like this is a guy who is a hothead who runs off at the mouth, probably deserves to be punched or worse, but clown I was not getting. So he kind of he kind of impressed me that way. Yeah, I see what you're saying. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. Did they break every single rule in this movie? I wrote them all down because there's a brief shot of a poster, um, a sign that's posted. You were, you were able to make out the, the last beginning. rule because I couldn't make out the last rule. It's too dark. Hotel Artemis rules are final and non-negotiable is the final one. Um, But there are 10 rules. Uh, I'm maybe going to run through all these and and you can just give me a yes or no if you think they were broken in this movie. Number one, while on the premises, no fighting with or killing other patients. 
super oh, yeah. broke. <laughs> okay, number two. No disrespectful words or actions allowed against Hotel Artemis staff. Well, Charlie Day is in this. Yeah. And a, a Quinto's the one to bust that one down. Right. Oh, I mean, Charlie course, Day they don't actually too, the way so they he's don't talking a, so, so they don't actually get access to the hotel they break in does that count as a i mean that itself is a violation but i guess that's being it is yeah memberships um prior but lapsed members will not be admitted i mean is they, that one that didn't get broke well so is anybody a prior oh, no or no no member? no that cop is not a member at all but she's not a prior but she's never been yeah, yeah. i think that yeah. breaks the no guests rule Yes, yeah. but this is—I yeah. I can't think of anyone who has a lapsed membership that got in, unless one of those dudes that was rolling the Zachary Quinto. But yeah, that I one think wasn't right. explicitly broken. I don't think five was. Uh, no guns or any type of weapon printed through the gates. Obviously, that got broken. Broke. Uh, no photography or video allowed. Well, I mean, she got, got her eyeball. Niece had yeah. Her, yeah, had her mm-hmm. implant. Uh, okay, how about this? No outside food or drink. Anybody bringing burgers in? I that might be a unbroken law. I think so. We're at that too. <laughs> Guess it depends on what you mean by food and drink. Yeah. What yeah. do you mean by food and drink? I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to ask Drew Pierce. <laughs> uh okay, how about if number nine, if member is found to have compromised or led to compromise of location, membership will be revoked. I mean, that's not a rule you can break. That's just a thing that happens. Yeah. It was certainly like when she led a civilian in, like somebody broke, like, you know, annoying sister from Parks and Rec found out about this because her son's shitty op security, I guess. Oh, so did Jodie Foster break that rule and that's why she couldn't go back? Wait, how could she have broken that? No, wait, 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 wait. She brought in Morgan. Her son couldn't have told her that because her son was dead before she found that Hotel Artemis. So... Because mm-hmm. she surmised that it must be like a legend on the streets that a savvy cop on a beat long enough would kind of put two and two together. Is that what happened? I think Sounds so. Like it. I think, Jim, to sh- your question where you're asking why Jodie Foster didn't go back at the end, I think she didn't go back because that helping people was built on a lie. Mm-hmm. That, that what she was doing at the Artemis... I think she felt mm-hmm. like she was in another trap there because of how the Wolf King may or may not have orchestrated things. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I don't think it's Yeah, that makes rule. sense. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the very end of this movie um, when, uh, you know, Sterling K. Brown, uh, Waikiki, and uh, Jodie Foster get out of the Hotel Artemis and get to a car and he drives away and she kind of walks into the the smoke or the city or whatever they're playing her song um i really like that the the movie kind of has dual protagonists in Mm -hmm. sterling k brown and jodie foster true throughout it the it's run um they do a lot of building of relationships between those characters and some of the more minor characters in this movie and it really there, there was a kind of mirroring of the two that happens in the movie where they both have baggage one has baggage of a lost loved uh, loved one. The other has baggage of a still living loved one who's just like dragging them down at every turn. 
and by the end, they're both free of that. I felt like the way they got around to that was pretty elegant for what is an otherwise silly action movie. Yeah. And then I think we talked earlier about was this meant to continue as a series? She does send him off in the direction of the dark room in Las Vegas. Yeah. So I think there was there was a little bit of hope there that this was going to develop into yeah. multi-part. Especially because, like, why the mid-credit sequence where Sophia Butella mm-hmm. escapes? Like, why have yeah. that if they didn't have plans for a sequel? And I thought maybe, yeah, that you'd have uh, Dave Batista anchoring something at the Hotel Artemis or they could continue with the Vegas, you know, maybe it's your fallen star. But the thing is, is I don't think Sterling K. Brown is staying in this life. Like the only reason he got back in is to help his brother out. Yeah. And I feel like that he's going to go legit. Like he's like smart yeah. and resourceful. And so it's like, yeah, you'd have to build around Dave, I guess, or mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, Sterling can just keep getting into misadventures that lead him to be back on the wrong side of the law. Yeah. But what pulls him back into it? Cause I get the sense that his brother fucking up all the time and holding him back from succeeding uh, was one of the things that pushed him back into that life. I like that because he's like, you know, the, his whole thing is like, I've got, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. No matter what happens, he's got a plan. And he's like, mm-hmm. you know, I've got all these plans. I've had my life's had all these plans, but they were all really the plan to like, this is the, the, the save you. And like at the end of the movie, he's like, like he even says, like, I think for the first time in my life, I got like a clean slate. I can't remember what exactly said, but he's like, I've got a clean slate that I can do whatever I want to do. Um, so it'd be kind of tragic if he got pulled back into the life, but yeah, it does feel yeah, like he had plans for more. His only connection to this underworld is niece now, and she's mm-hmm. she's survived, but I I don't think they're getting back together. That seemed a little toxic. Yeah. I. So what is their backstory? They had some kind of romantic relationship. And at some point she decided she was going overseas somewhere and he doesn't do overseas. I got the impression he doesn't do overseas because his brother is here and he's not willing to leave his brother. And she was kind of by moving uh, away and inviting him to come with she was kind of giving him an ultimatum, like stop letting your brother ruin ruin and rule your life and come with me and we'll do better, bigger stuff. That's okay. the vibe I got too. All right. I was just checking because they don't spell it out exactly, but they do drop a lot of small hints throughout their conversations. Yeah. Which I liked. What are the other rules? Um, there are only a few we didn't talk about. Like I said, Hotel Artemis rules, final, non-negotiable. Um, memberships must be paid for in full and in advance, which, I mean, I guess that rule doesn't get broken. Yeah, Yeah. but we saw the guy at the beginning didn't keep up on his membership and he was sent outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, not really broken, but definitely present. Uh, But that's kind of it. Absolutely no visitors. The one you mentioned, Talitha, that gets broken for sure. Uh, broken by Jodie Foster. I mean, she brings in Mo. And yeah. She also like broke. The, that's. I also like. Again, there's so much. This movie is kind of an iceberg movie. There's so much beneath that never makes it to the screen. But the you know, I broke the rules before and that worked out okay. 
and Dave's like, well, I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It's that's interesting that like he was some kind of street urchin that was in a bad way, and she took in, which is why he's such a loyal puppy dog to her. Like he's essentially his surrogate mother. Um, which does the timing work out for that? How old do you think he's supposed to be in this movie? Because it was twenty two years ago. She's been she started Hotel Artemis. Uh huh. I think it does. Like she'd do that in her forties, and Dave Bautista was like, "I no, what is him? He, is, how old is Dave Bautista? I thought he was like early forties. Yeah, but that's what I'm I saying. Like if that was twenty two years early. ago. He would have been in his late teens. I, oh shit! He's fifty five years old. Fuck! Get out of here. Yeah, I was. I I felt to me like he was a guy playing his mid to late thirties. So like he could okay, be anywhere could between yeah. five and fifteen when she picked him up, and either yeah. one of those I think are fine. Like he could have been in a gang, you know, like fifteen, fourteen, mm-hmm. fifteen year old kind of jit type of deal. But yeah, I suppose that works. Uh, we didn't talk about the vault in enough detail for my taste. Is a portable vault a good idea in the first place? Is a what? A portable vault. A good idea. Are the diamonds uh, worth anything if you can't get them out? No, but are they worth anything if you lose the vault? Like you do your car keys or your sunglasses or... <laughs> like I know it'd be there's... a priority not to lose this thing, but you could just misplace $18 million worth of diamonds because your seems... vault is super light and portable. <laughs> it seems yeah. like you would have like tracking though. Like that pin is totally. so fucking huge yeah. you could easily have like some kind of low jack gps tracker but and i want to say maybe there is tracking i everybody's like when they see this pin and they know what it is they are super urgent about leaving yeah and it's not i mean who would know that they necessarily have it and where they are at any given time unless there was yeah. tracking yeah and if you're like if you saw that on the street and you picked it up and you're just a civilian you wouldn't be like Oh my God! This is the Wolf King. He's the fear. You'd just be like, "Holy shit!" Pin full of diamonds, you know. Uh huh. Or just a really uh, it does nice seem, pin. It does seem like a, that would be something that yeah, it's nice. It's, maybe it's good for like international smuggling, but like can't beat the old steel briefcase handcuffed to a thug, you know? Right. Not gonna lose that. Yeah, or a truck. And all something. here's the yeah, thing I had: horrible, but... why the fuck would you put it on your outside suit pocket? Yeah, hide in plain sight, baby. Or prison pocket. It's it's like you know, like it's it's (laughs) it's ergonomically designed for that purpose. But you put it on your front shirt pocket, Mm -hmm. you're asking to be robbed. You know, he was going to the bank. I mean, how are you going to deposit that? (laughs) Yeah, safe deposit. Maybe it's a safe deposit thing. Yeah, yeah, and and also uh, now that we're we're nitpicking. Does the Wolf King is like he stores his ill-gotten goods in safety deposit boxes and banks? In the middle like, during of a, a riot, riot in a he city sends that's... his low-level yeah. employees like, "Ah, oh, I got eighteen millions of diamonds." Take like he is. <laughs> Who? What riot is busting into the Wolf King's fortress, man? Maybe he's also, leaving LA. Bring the diamonds. diamonds with you. Yeah. Also, does eighteen million dollars worth of fancy diamonds make you a kingpin? Make you a, make you the owner of L.A. Because there are people no, in L.A. with a lot more yeah. than eighteen million dollars. Like at the end, when when Zachary Quinto is threatening him, telling him, "Give me the pin, I'm going to kill Jodie Foster." He he tempts him with like, "Here's eighteen million dollars worth of diamonds that will make you the king of L.A." Oh, Crosby's an idiot, though. 
Crosby's an idiot, but also $18 million <laughs> okay. would go a long way. Like if you were the less loved son of a gangster, it'd probably go a good way of getting you established, buying you some muscle and, if you were smart. And it's a hard currency as opposed to, you know, potentially if the system is falling out here in LA, nobody's going to have access to their digital money, I, maybe, but true. $18 million. But some you of that stuff is like, like the I'm gold sorry. coins and John Wick, like, you know. That's a cool, sick idea, but does it really? Does, does it does it really? You know, if if you think about the scrutiny and and uh, how much a gold coin is worth in one movie versus the other, you know, yeah. like well, how do you, how do you have a market based on favors anyway? Yeah, I think the gold coin thing is more about keeping people civil, and that's mm, yeah. I think that's their main purpose. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, the 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 weird weird yellow diamonds are now yellow diamonds super valuable because I thought that was like the shit tier diamond, you know, like the are we know like is, is, is people like fuck clear uh, fuck color now? I mean, good enough marketing, they can sell anything. Yeah, yeah. we have the rocks. ability to create diamonds yeah. at scale now, out of nothing essentially, and yet people still view real diamonds, quote unquote, real diamonds. With artificial know. scarcity as extra valuable, so I feel like the millennials and the Gen Zers are are busting are are, are busting the beers balls. They're done. I They're hope done so. For. They're running them out of town. I don't want a yeah. diamond, ever. Just give me a river rock. Neither do I. I'll have more fun with that. <laughs> but what if you had a five carat piss yellow <laughs> African conflict diamond that Yakusha came from diamond. Zachary Quinto's fat pin? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Would it make well, me so, rule when Los I saw Angeles. that pin? Yeah, when I saw that pin, I just yeah. thought of those giant pins you used to have in school that had like the four colors. You know, it's like, oh man, it doesn't must even have, have that. Oh, yeah. That must have eight colors. It's so fat. Yeah, you, you, you mm-hmm. got room for eight colors in that barrel. <laughs> I hope that pen writes in yellow, so it's completely pointless. Yeah, it's a safe that can get <laughs> stolen with ink you can't read. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, two more things here. The Wolf King symbol looks an awful lot like the Thundercat symbol. Just saying. It looks a lot Thought like gonna... uh, the the whatever Witcher house that the Geralt fights under too. Yep, yeah, it was very the Witcher. And then Nice <laughs> is about to go into a hallway fight, so she stuffs scalpels into her boots. Scalpels in your boots. Just think about it for a second. Scalpels in your boots. Pain is just a That's... mindset to Nice. Blade down. Blade <laughs> but yeah, down it doesn't too. make sense. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, yeah, I would like to point out. As a woman who loves to watch action, I love that she's wearing boots. I love that she's yeah. wearing boots. Not I, high heels. Oh my gosh. I got rid of my I used to have some high heels. I tried them out. They're not for me. They make my knees hurt. I can barely walk in them. No, that's not that's not true. I can walk fine, okay? But it's like I don't want to walk in them. And so when I see fight <laughs> yeah. scenes in high heels, I'm just like, oh, like I start getting sore. So I like mm. the boots. Not a great place for scalpels, yeah. but I like the boots. Maybe she's Here, got she, she's an assassin, right? And she's got she she does throw blades. Maybe her boots mm-hmm. have built-in sheaths. She has slipped okay. them in the existing like throwing it. knife. Yeah, like a little it's internal not actually pocket. stabbing her her ankles with monomolecular nanite blades or whatever the fuck those electro scalpers <laughs> Microwave were. blades. Yeah. Microwave no, like blades. It. Holy shit, or microwave blades. 
here's here's what you got to do if you are wearing high heels and you're about to get into a fight take them off i always love a scene where you know the girly girl who's about to kick ass removes the high heels before they get into the fight it's like i'm way more effective this way and also my bare feet are going to kick your ass Plus, i just i can't remember what it might have been the nice guys but i saw a movie this week where a lady was in a fight with high heels and she took the high heel off and did the whole four inch spike into a dude's Mm. eye socket yeah, they're also dead. They're also deadly. They're stilettos. You got four inch dirks on your heels. Yeah, but she's got she's got scalpels in her boots. So what does she need of that? <laughs> uh, then you have multiple blades too, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, that's going to do it for our coverage here of uh, Hotel Artemis. Thanks to Talitha number one for producing all of our podcasts, but also for having us watch this uh, awesome movie. Oh, thanks for and, having me. Uh, this is now the, I think the third bald move thing you've done in front of the mic, so that's cool. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see about getting you back on uh, uh, sooner than you know several months or however long the interval's been. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we will be back with another pulp movie or project before you know it. Until then, I'm your host Aaron. I'm Jim, and I'm Talitha. See you next time. <laughs>